because of what one man did. And with sin came death. This is why everyone must die, because everyone sinned. Sin was in the world before the law of Moses, but sin is not counted against us as breaking a command when there is no law. But from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, everyone had to die, even those who had not sinned by breaking a command as Adam had. Adam was like the one who was coming in the future. But God's free gift is not like Adam's sin. Many people died because of the sin of that one man, but the grace from God was much greater. Many people received God's gift of life by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we simply ask that you would be our teacher this morning. That the message that is shared would be one that's transformative, that you would use to show us, show us your glory, your light, and your beauty. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So there's a song that I heard a long time ago some years now, almost a decade. But I was so moved by it because it was so craftily, it was so well done telling the story of salvation. I'm going to sing it for you. It's a very homegrown song. It's by a gentleman named Alan Levy. It's called, Where the People Walk Backwards. There's a land where the people all walk around backwards. They walk around backwards everywhere they go. They are bumped, they are bruised, they are scarred and broken. And why they walk around backwards, they don't know. They stumble and they stagger into one another. They trip and they tumble and they all fall down. There's a dangerous cliff that they cannot see and a lake at the bottom where the people drown. It seems that they've always walked around backwards. They were backwards born, they were backwards grown. The little children learned it from their mamas and papas. And they're reluctant to leave what they've always known. Well, some do worse and some do better. They all got by in the backward town. They all fear the cliff and the lake below, but the people will fall and the children will drown. Then a stranger came to town and to them he walked backwards. It's the strangest sight they ever did see. But he had no bumps, no scars, no bruises. And he said, this is how you were made to be. 
If you'll just follow me, if you'll just turn around, you can see where you're going and you'll not fall down. You'll have no fear of the cliff and the lake, and you'll not tumble in, and you'll never drown. But the people got afraid and the people got angry when he said, come and follow, everyone refused. They all got together and they did away the stranger and they still get broken and scarred and bruised. But some I've been told heard the things he said. You can see their footprints around the town. They stand at the cliff with the words of the stranger. You'll do fine if you just turn around. There still is a land where the people walk backwards. They walk around backwards everywhere they go. It's by Alan Levy. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully you were able to read behind the lyric. We are the people who walk backwards. We are the people who were born backwards, and are backwards grown. According to the scripture, the source of this backwardness is a three-letter word called sin. And so the question this morning as we continue our series in top questions you asked Google is, what is sin? What is sin? Before we define it, let's find out a little bit more about what the scripture says about sin, all right? Our, our text of emphasis was found in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Point number one, sin is universal. Sin is universal. It said death spread to all of humanity because all sinned. According to this verse, every man, every woman, child, adult, teenager, infant, Every human being on this planet has been plagued with this thing called sin. There is nowhere on earth, no country, no city, no village, no hidden tribe in uh, the Amazon. There's nowhere that doesn't have some type of law or legal system to maintain order and provide some type of justice. Why? Because a system is needed to prevent or to deal with members of the community that seek to inflict pain, cause harm or suffering, or even any type of inconvenience to themselves or to others. And so the fact that everyone has to have a system to prevent lawlessness from ensuing tells us 
that it is currently impossible for human beings to self-manage in a way that allows for everyone to experience a harmonious community. We're not able to self-manage and have harmony at the same time. So we have to have a system. Sin demonstrates itself in every culture and society dating back to, to the days of antiquity. Wise King Solomon said it the best, I say, there is nothing new under the sun. Humanity has been having the same problems since the fall. Greed, always been a problem. Selfishness, always been a problem. Hatred and murder, always been a problem. Jealousy and theft, always been a problem. Oppression, always been a problem. Poverty, always been a problem. War. We pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, but that too has also always been a problem. And the list goes on. Whichever way you swing it, sin is everywhere because sin is universal. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Psalms 14.3 says, There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, how is it that the sin of Adam passed on to the entire human population from generation to generation? Now, the theological term we use for this idea is called the original sin. It's the, the universal defect in human nature and it, that was caused, caused by the fall. And so it's, it's, to describe it more, it's a leaning towards or a propensity to rebellion or opposition in our thoughts and in our actions. It's a type of gravitational pull towards that which is contrary to God's will. If you want to speak of it in a more relational term, which is accurate as well, even more so, one could describe it as a parting of ways or a separation from God, a broken relationship. We were born, humanity, in a, in a state of distance from God, a state of alienation from him, the Bible says. The disobedience of our first parents, some would say, poisoned the blood. So it not only resulted in the gradual degeneration of the human race, but even more so, it broke the relationship between God and humans and humans with each other. And so it created this space of hostility within both of those relationships. So although we individually did not take the first fruit uh, as our parents did or disobey, we, we inherited the consequences as a result. Ellen White says this in Ministry of Healing, a great quote to, to put a better picture on this. She says, through sin, the whole human organism is deranged. The mind is perverted, the imagination corrupted, Sin has degraded the faculties of the soul. Temptations from without 
find an answering chord within the heart and the feet turn imperceptibly toward evil. This draw toward evil, like I said, creates distance with God. And so, as humanity begins to multiply, Adam and Eve, who are made in the image of God, but changed through disobedience, become the fallen prototype for the entire human family. So, I'm going to do a picture here. Here's God, and he creates Adam and Eve, just like himself. Like himself as a copy of the divine character, their, their, their character, like his, and having supreme mental and physical capacities, okay? Their motives, their thoughts, their actions, they were all in harmony with their creator when they were created. But once they fell, once they had disobeyed God, they then created copies of themselves, with a fallen image of God in thought, in motive, in action. And so they were no longer in complete harmony with him. Something had changed from here to there. A type of spiritual distance was created. Humanity then inherited a marred character, marred mental and physical capacity as a result of our first parents, we inherited that, a pull towards that which is opposed to the character of God. And so they began to experience an imbalance in their passions, their desires, their tendencies. They started to have a greater trust in themselves and not God and what he had said. And then after Adam and Eve, they birthed Cain. Cain lived his life, made his own choices, like murdering his brother and then made humans in the likeness of himself. And so on and so forth. And then those humans lived their lives, falling into their own temptations, and then made humans in the likeness of themselves, and continues and continues until you come down to some 4,000 years of humans who were made in the image of God, yet ended up replicating the likeness of broken people very far from God, without hope, God's image barely peeking through. So then, Jesus decides to step in. And he takes on the likeness of broken humanity after 4,000 years to live as one of us. So however humans looked 4,000 years ago and uh, uh, in Jerusalem, right? Then Jesus took on that form, took on the frailty of human flesh, and he came to live as one of us. And let's just say that at that point, humanity had fallen pretty low since they were first created. So yes, sin is universal. But we keep going. Sin is universal. Sin is both an act and it is also a state of being. Sin is both something you do and who you are. In Psalm 51, verse three through five, King David is speaking, this is his repentance. It says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. 
against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. After King David committed uh, power rape and then has uh, Bathsheba's very faithful, very loyal husband murdered in the front lines of battle. It was a while later when things had died down that Nathan the prophet comes to him and he confronts him about it. David thought he, it seems like he was just going on living, no problems. Nathan comes, wakes him up and he says, hey, you're the man. You're the man that did this. And once David realizes that his sin has not been unseen or forgotten by God, he breaks down and he picks up his pen and he begins to write his repentance in Psalm 51. Now, you know, sometimes we think no one sees what we do. We think it's been forgotten. Sometimes we think that our secrets are safe. But trust Someone has seen. Psalm 51, David says, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David is referring directly to a specific action or act that he committed. And then he says, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So not only is he talking about sin as an act, as something wrong or lawless that he did, he basically says, look, I was born backwards. In sin did my mother conceive me. I was born already with a lean towards wickedness. There's no surprise at what I've done. But then he says, but God, please wash me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. When the news about uh, Ravi Zacharias, the legendary Christian apologist, came to light and sent shockwaves through the, through the Christian world, his 40-some years plus of ministry now tainted by what people were discovering about his double life. The evidence of his sexual abuse uh, to multiple victims began to surface after his death. And the failure of the ministry organization by covering up the lawsuits through the use of donor funding resulted in major backlash. And always, people wonder, how can God use a man so mightily that was also so inwardly corrupt? And my question in response to that is, who else could he have used? Was there another human better? It is only by the grace of God that anyone, minister or not, is able to fight against the temptation of evil. And if you're not careful, you will fall, and we have plenty of lessons of that. Because 
a gravitational pull towards sin is the current default wiring of humanity. Jeremiah 13, 23 says this, it says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? No, it's impossible. You need a miracle. The only way you can change the very nature of your being, the only way you can reset the default setting of humanity is by God's own continual intervention in your life. You may be able to paint a house, fix the house, make updates, make improvements, make renovations on the house, on a house, but if you want a new house, where the old house was standing, it must be demolished and rebuilt. Think about it this way. When God flooded the earth in Genesis 6, okay, everything died except for the animals on the ark and Noah's family of eight. Right? So question for you. With everything on the earth washed away, Vegetation was gone, it had to grow back. What was the cause of a resurgence in sin? This was the cause. Every animal and every last one of those eight people were marred by sin. So even, so, so and let me add this, yet God saved them. So then by the time you get to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, even though God started from basically scratch again, like from before, from the, from the flood, the same problem arises. From eight people, we have continued on and sin has shown its head again. Because sin is not only an act, but a state of being. Now, the Bible does give a clear-cut answer in defining sin. In 1 John 3, verse 4, the Bible says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And here's the way I would put it. Sin is opposing the law of the universe. Sin is opposing the principle of love. A couple sermons ago, we talked about God is love, right? Sin is opposing the principle of love. Now, I just did something here that I shouldn't have done, and I clicked my notes. I need a little help. Can you just make that bigger? Boom. Thank you. I got a little little finger happy here. So, sin is, the oppo- is opposing the law of the universe. Sin is opposing the principle of love. So, Lucifer in heaven challenged the very system of the universe. If you know his story, if you don't, we, we can uh, at some point go through that. <laughs> He challenged the very system of the universe. He challenged God's very being. He proposed that there was another way to exist outside of God's setup of the universe. 
He proposed that life can be sustained while being separated from God's design. So everything, just so you know, everything that God does is an expression of his love. And so he set the universe up in such a way that it would benefit all of creation and not just some. Love does not seek its own, like 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. Love is a system set up for dependence on one another. Nothing God creates operates in total independence. So to propose another system, as Lucifer did, contrary to this idea, is to, in fact, oppose the very law of love. It is, in fact, to be in opposition with God's very own being. Isaiah 14 tells us a little bit, it gives us some insight into the mind of, uh, the heart of Lucifer. Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 14, it says this, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I, 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 I. Satan's idea of an alternate way of life revolved around himself. Self-centered versus other-centered. And the reality is, is that if you run a universe on the principle of self first, it will extinguish itself. Nothing God created has the ability to exist by themselves. You need other pieces of God's creation to exist. The sun, the sun was created for the benefit of the entire planet. What if the sun refused to shine, as they say in many love songs? Or human beings. We cannot make it to, from infancy to adulthood. We will not make it to adulthood without another human being. Nothing operates independent. It has to rely on something else because God created the system that way. He created life that way. Love is other-centered. If there was another way for humanity to exist outside of God's system, surely he would have told us. Why? Because God cannot lie, nor does he withhold what is in our best interest to have. John 14, 6 says, look, Jesus came and he said, look, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Not because I'm just saying that, because I know. Because that's how the universe is shaped. There is no path of life outside of me, he said. I am its source. Because sin is opposing the law of the universe. Sin is opposing the principle of love. But there's good news. I know this sounds dreary. Jesus 
He doesn't leave us without good news, amen? The good news, look, Romans 5.12, it's uh, our text of emphasis. It says, just as sin came into the world, sin is not eternal. In fact, sin has been defeated. Can someone say amen? Sin is not eternal. It will not go on forever and ever. It will not. And it has already been defeated. It has a very clear beginning and it has a very clear ending. The Bible tells us. God wins. In fact, I should say it this way. God has already won. Jesus, the lamb, took our sins and then suffered the consequences of those sins by dying on the cross. He took them and he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of this. I'm gonna pay the debt. And he goes to the cross and dies for them because that is the consequence for sin. Sin leads to death. That's where the story is supposed to end. Death. But then, but then he rises up from the grave on the third day. Why? How? Because love, God who is love, is a living power. You cannot destroy it. You cannot lock it up in a tomb. It's the strongest power in the universe. It is life-giving. Sin and death is not stronger than love. You cannot hold love captive. You cannot. It is the pumping, thriving power of the universe. It cannot be shut up. Sin will never have won. Not against love. God wins. God has won. And then he says, look, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. For me and you, don't worry. Look, Jesus didn't overcome the world for nothing. He's not, he's not gonna wrap up the conclusion of Earth's saga and then leave empty-handed. No, 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 I came here for something. He said, I'm gonna take you with me. He said, look, if you want it, I'm gonna give you a new heart, I'm gonna give you a new mind, I'm gonna fill you with my spirit. In fact, let's do it this way, let's do it this way. Let's swap places. I'll take the credit for living your life, your life, my life, a dirty life, a filthy life, a selfish life, an addicted life, raggedy and spotted. I'll take credit for that life, and you take credit for living mine, spotless. And I'll handle that. I'm going to die on the cross for it. I'm going to handle it. That way, you get a clean slate 
and I pay for your sins. I'm going to help you. You won't be able to do it on your own anyway. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do it. So in the name of Jesus Christ, victory is promised. You have to believe it. Believe it. Sin is not eternal. It has been defeated. So what are we waiting for? Why do we still see chaos? You know, God is just waiting on us. Because sin has been defeated in the universe. We already know who won. The angels know who won. Everyone who's been watching this this soap opera knows who won. The question is, has sin been defeated in your heart? The entire universe knows sin has lost. God has already won. He's already supreme. But do you and I know? Do we know? Second Peter 3 verse 8 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Rebellion just simply doesn't fit in the grand scheme of the cosmos. Sin is the outlier. Sin and love, they don't swim in the same pool together. They are laws unto themselves, and both of them are transformative, but only one of them wins. So what does this mean for me and you? It means that sin doesn't have to be our story. Victory is our story. And the current default of humanity can be reprogrammed. Amen? It can be reprogrammed. That's why you can become a new creation. You can be born again. God can write a new story. And he covers the old story with his blood, and then he starts a new sheet. That's justification. And that happens as many times as it needs to. And so then God looks down and says, hmm, how can I, how can I recover Michelle? You know, I, I've got to give her a new hard drive, a new internal programming, a new heart, a new mind. That's sanctification. Day by day, he's tweaking it. And then I'll finish the job with a new body when I come. That's glorification. Don't give up on your journey. If you were thinking about giving up, if you were thinking about setting your faith to the side, don't give up yet. God is working for you. You may not know it, but he is. He's not finished. He's not finished yet. He's not finished with us yet. And Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There is a land where people walk backwards. We're living in it. But we look for a new land wherein dwelleth righteousness. Keep walking forward. Keep walking forward. Is this your desire? 
I hope that it's your prayer. But I also pray that God would make it your experience. Amen.